Okay, hi Shay, how are you doing? Welcome to Failure at 40. How are you doing today? Welcome, Shay. Hi, Charm, how are you doing? Hi, Shelley, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So thank you for coming on to Failure at 40. We're looking forward to finding out a little bit about your journey. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you were born and raised, and tell us a little bit about your family life. Okay, well, I was born, I was born in the UK, South London. But like I said, my mum came in when she was very young. So we're really basically British born, if, if so to speak. Grew up in New Cross. Any siblings? Well, I've, got, I've got three sisters. You're the only boy in the family? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how was that growing up? What was that like? I'm the oldest, so I get away, I get out of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you get out of it. <laughs> did you did you feel as being the eldest that you had to be kind of take responsibility for your sisters, protection, etc.? Oh, oh, definitely. I still am like that with them. Um, they know this too. I just, you know, they're my sisters, they're my everything. So we're very close. That's a beautiful way to put it. I haven't heard that before. I'm the big brother in it, so... Yeah, I get that. I get that position. Although they do try and challenge me, they're very. All three of them are, are very strong-headed. And when you say challenge you, as in you can't really tell them what partners to pick, what to do, what to wear. Oh no, no, they're big women now as well. So all I can do is give my advice and just be there, isn't it? But like, like I said, they're str- they, they're strong-headed. But as I said, we're, we're all close, and that's why I like to give and keep it that way. How would you describe your life as a young boy to, through to your teenage years? Uh, like, how was school? What was the impact of school? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your life as a youngster. Schooling was just like every other child's schooling. You know, you just it's a, you go through it as a breeze, really. So it was just fine. I mean, never really aware of things. You're just a, just a child. I guess secondary school is a bit different. That's when you start to get your character, your personality, know who you are, bonding with you know, groups. So I did have a, a really, in my, in my secondary school, I had um, a lot of African-Caribbean boys. So we managed to group Like Whereas in my primary school, I didn't really. So we then, you know, we kind of started finding yourself subconsciously. It wasn't conscious. It's just, it is. So you will just connect, hang around together. And that, that it may be that, I mean, that was it really. Have you maintained any of those friendships from secondary school to your today? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, because of my line of work, I've still got a lot. Um, I've still got people that come through, um, and yeah, and we connect. So I have. I do speak to a lot of people from school. Yes. You kind of said you've grown up in Newcastle, South London. Mum and Dad mm-hmm. both from Nigeria. Three sisters. You're the eldest out of that that uh, sibling group. And you've kind of maintained quite good friendships growing up over the years. What would you say were some of the definitive characters in your life in those very earlier years? Other than, I guess, just your mum and your dad. Was there anybody else that stood out for you? It's interesting. Even I had, I really, my grandmother, I definitely would say my grandmother. Because my grandmother sort of, 
made me be that person I am today. I guess for my mother and my father coming there early, although they were quite grounded, culturally, I saw that from my grandmother because I was fortunate to have my grandmother living with us. So she was very into church. So I had a lot of my aunties and uncles always flooding the house because she was very high in the church. So from the culture of the, you know, my um, Yoruba side, I'd say, and also the Caribbean side as well, because as I said, where I w grew up, it was all connected, very much so. If that makes sense. Um, would you would you say that Caribbean there was a meshing of the Caribbean culture and your, your Europe or Nigerian culture, and how did you make that your own? Was that a subculture or and plus Christianity? Because I'm hearing that's somewhere in the background as well. Yeah, it was it was prominent. It's very prominent. Like I said, especially fortunate to have. A lot of characters. I grew up Love Lynch close, Blue Borough. So, sorry, can you explain that? Can you explain that a bit more. I'm, I'm a bit lost. Love Lynch close, Blue Borough. Oh, Kent Road. So, Blue Cross, Blue Bar is at the area. So, a lot of uh, friends that we bonded around. That's how the area we called it. So, me being growing up, New Cross, and that was our area. It was very, you know, very challenging as young boys because there was a lot of competition. This is the 80s, 80s, 90s, early 90s? 80s, 80s, 80s. 90s into 2000, definitely 90s, 2000. 80s, I was a young boy, probably about 90s, 2000, yes. And so you're talking about prominence as grandmother. That was something that was very strong. And, and so in terms of you developing into a, a young man, so it sounds to me like there was a, a friendship group of young men. But in terms of really getting your masculinity and manhood, where, where did that come from? I mean, obviously, you've spoken about dad. My dad was respected with him. He, was a, he always worked to his shoulder. It was about that. And my mum worked hard as well, to be honest. So there was that. I think the streets taught me that. The streets is a very... Like, if you don't get the streets, you don't make it in life. The streets is very challenging. I mean, young boys, but African-Caribbean boys trying to find their way. How can I call the words? Like, again, like I said, if you don't know... If, you, if you're on the streets and you don't get it, you'll never get it because the dynamics you have to deal with being in those communities was very challenging. And I guess we're seeing a lot of that today, just in you know what's happening for some of our young African Caribbean boys um, on the streets today. And very much so, they're still having to navigate that plane as well as the kind of corporate level of things, the systematic level of things, education. There's just so much. And I guess if we're talking 80s, 90s, that was still very much an issue then. Along with racism, I guess, in, especially in New Cross, I guess, okay, moaned about those times. Yes, well, but it's interesting because racism was like, it was like two different battles because you never really, you saw it, but you never, at that age, when you was younger, didn't really see that as a threat until you became older. The more threat was all about area codes and stuff. You know, it's quite interesting you actually having this, sorry, sorry interviewing me because it makes me now think about it because there's a lot of things I could keep in and don't think, and don't think to say because, again, with streets, you don't talk. But now when I look back, like, there's a lot of friends I've lost through streets. Yeah, and it does make me think what the impact it makes. It then starts to become normal. And as you said, like, these youths, it's, it's even far more worse. So I remember around that particular time, you know, I, I'm, I've grown up in South London, going from Southwest into Southeast was very, as a, a young girl at those times, was very much kind of like, oh my goodness, what's, what's going to go on here? Because you were aware that there were different postcodes, but also different gangs. They might, they might call them gangs now, but then it could just be groups of children, young people, yeah, on those streets. And if they don't know you, they don't know your face, or you're not with someone they know, they will question you. Um, so there was very much this kind of survival instinct, you know, or element. It was very like that for me. I mean, yeah, because as I said, we belong to a group, a very known group. So, you know, we had to sort of keep up that, that reputation. And with, with that being said, so there was a lot of, you know, to make loose words, is drama. <laughs> there was a lot of conflict with other boys from other areas and ends that we didn't actually... Other schools as well? That's interesting. It wasn't really a school thing. It was more when, like, as I said, it was, no, not really a school thing. It was more of, um, as I said, when you get out of school, um, it was areas. Do you know what I found interesting, what you just said a few minutes ago about if you don't really know the streets, 
at that time would be difficult for you as you get older. Do you think that that is a part of growing up as an African-Caribbean child? Do you think having those experiences was necessary for growth? Or do you think there's other ways that you can experience those that growth? Well, it's interesting, even the word necessary. I mean, it, it, we were just born into it by default. But what was necessary was learning to combat, learning to survive, learning to be street smart, you know, but it it does teach you responsibility, wisdom, how people are. It's all like, you know, and I do feel it was necessary to get out. Yeah. yeah, What does getting out look like, Shay? When you say get out, doing positive things instead of being brought into that stereotype as young males is not really destined to do anything than to just do the stereotypical things to do and not sort of to look and broad your horizon and to actually be businessmen, not be entrepreneurs. So how how did you get out? How did you get out? What was the way for you? Well, I mean, one of my ambitions, I mean, so one of my passions, not ambition, was actually from school I've always cut hair. I mean, very very artistic. But I always like to deal with people as well. So sociology and stuff like that was very much my um, forte. I like to understand the world. So even from then, I used to always ask questions. And I think I've just that, got that type of spirit. So getting out, if that's the question you was asking me, was for me to see what's around me and ask myself, why are we in this situation? Why are we in this condition as African Caribbean males and females? But I'm just talking about from sort of like gangland, because I understand it was that. And to sort of look into why we operate like this, because it became like a downward spiral. Like I said, I see a lot of guys ending up, if not in prison, but ended up losing their lives. Was there an age that you actually thought, okay, that you actually saw that you needed to get out or was, was it more education, that kind of, the education that you, the knowledge you were getting from the courses that you were doing that was broadening your horizons or was you actually like, I just want to get out of this? Yeah, it's interesting you said that. I think I I reached a crossroads. So it's in my twenties. And like I said, with my skills, I used to cut hair and it's quite interesting. I always knew I liked cutting hair, but I went to a particular barbershop where my barber was and there was a, and I always have to big him up really because he was the one sort of like pushed me to tell me to come in and sort of cut hair. There's a space here. And I was always like, mm, you know. Were you cutting hair at home before then? Were you cutting yeah, hair cutting at home? Yeah I, was always, yeah, I was always cutting it. But it was just a hobby. I'd never thought I would do it and go into business with it and stuff like that. In terms of my 20s was the time when I really sort of thought, no, this is not where I want to be. And he, he basically, that, that guy that owned that shop who told me to get, who gave me a chair, I must say he definitely was the one that made me think differently. Yeah, because I had more response. Not to say I didn't have any, I had a minor job, a minor job before, but it made me think differently as to where I want my life to be. I just want to touch on something before we move on a little bit more into um, some of your business and what you do. Was that you kind of mentioned a little bit about gangland and, and thinking about why, you know, young men, people might be drawn into certain situations. And I was thinking about this idea of this kind of pack mentality, where actually sometimes just because you're the same age, you know each other, same area, sometimes you can be drawn to each other. And then at some points, if there are other people who challenge you, there might be an idea that you protect each other. Or, you know, or just people know, actually, we're not going to bother with them because they're together and they're, they're a crew. And I wonder if you see any resemblance in that for your own life journey. Oh, definitely, exactly that. Like we just, we wasn't just gangs. We was good. We were growing friends, young boys growing up in the area. So they, be, it becomes like family. Not becomes like it becomes family. Um, I get it. No, absolutely. Because I think quite often, you know, gangs, as opposed to a group of friends, you know, can be seen in so many different ways. You know, is this now a gang because actually maybe there's been they've done something that's untoward, or is it just because they're in a pack together? You know, and they were grouped together. Well, there is two different aspects because there are friends, but I know we've got that whole thing where you know there's a group of boys that always gangs. We know we've got that media nonsense, but we're talking about. I know there's also gangs, and you know, I belong to a gang. 
Um, and so I can't even put, take myself out of that, if you see what I mean. Would you say you were part of a gang? No, I was. But I'm saying there was two aspects. There's, that, that's what I'm saying is that media hype where, you know, you see a group of young African Caribbean boys that are, uh, uh, they're hanging around. So they, they're gang members, but that's not the case. But I personally, I, be, I belong to a gang. Yeah. And, and how would you define that? I mean, what was happening for you that you think it was a gang? Uh, we went by a name, you know, we were known, like I said, I'm from New Cross and people that know, know what New Cross boys were. So it's just interesting even talking about it because it's like, well, I never really talk about that. And as an adult, does it feel a little bit surreal or a little bit very, you're very far removed from that now in terms of your lifestyle? But it's part, it's part of me, so you never actually remove, because like I said, I've got good friends that, you know, have passed away from, and they, they, it all lives inside you, but it's the lessons, you, the lessons in life. So all, all what happens in your life makes you who you are today. You know, we all have choices, but I just chose to better myself. Quite often you'll hear uh, remarks that, you know, young men who are in gangs is often because they've got absent fathers, or you know, they're, or they're, they're from a single parent household, or they haven't got certain things in place, and this is why um, they're in a gang. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do, do you agree? Yeah, to some degree that there is, and then there's to, to some degree there is. That's that's can't deny the fact. In fact, large percentage is like that. But also, there's a lot of peer pressure. It's also about being cool. You know, you want to be in with the, the popular people, they're not with the not so popular. So you have got a degree of what you said and other reasons, really. As I said, it's popularity, you know, it's being called to be in one. And it's what's sold to you, isn't it? Like, again, that's why, so that's why this negative music, which I don't really, not really like to play, but I don't play at all in my shop because of those reasons. It's a form of programming. So knowing that some of your friends passed away because of lifestyle, what did you envision your life might look at like by the time you reached 40? Did, did you even envision 40? I always knew I wanted to be successful. I mean, I always knew like I had, I knew myself I had drive. I knew I wanted to make something of myself. It's funny you ask me that question because I always do this plan five years ahead of where I'm going to be or where I want to be in five years time. I always do that. But it's funny when you do get to foot, you think, wow, because you used to think that was old and teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And you realise you've still got flavour. You're still yeah, young. No, yeah. I, you know, I like to tell myself that. But I don't know, in 10 years' time, I'm like, well, I'm 53, so I better not, co- I better not concentrate on just my flavour. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So what, what did 40, what did you think 40 was going to be for you? Or just adulthood, I guess. Well, after, you know, to be 40, I didn't think I'll be here. But um, having children changed the whole dynamics and I knew I waited late to have children. So I still want to not be here. Um, I don't think this would be an end. I think that's a note to myself and all of us. I've always felt that way. When you say not, when you say not be here, sorry to cut you. Do you mean as in alive here or in the where you live now, or what does not be here mean? Oh yeah, in another in another country. I oh mean, right, okay. This 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 tiny island, England, is not the be and end all. Um, we've been sold that, but um, I would like um, I would like here and abroad six months apart if I can. Eventually, certain moves I'm making, I want to eventually not be here. Where would you like to move to? If you, like, if you could live somewhere else, six months of the year, where would it be? Oh, it'd be the continent, but also into travelling. I do like to travel. Even before my children, I was travelling. So that's definitely, I think travelling is living. I think that's another point. A lot of us need to use that passport. Travelling is, is definitely part of living. And when you, say the, when you say the continent, there's a few continents. Continent of Africa. I know we've got the islands as well, but what I'm... But again, like I said, traveling the world, because when you travel the world, you definitely see a totally different perspective. And you see things from your personal experience and not from other, but somebody else's. So, and when I did that, when I did that, I realized definitely traveling is the one you have to. Yeah, I agree. Definitely agree. I want to kind of talk about, like, you know, when you got the chair, you said when you got the chair from your barber, that made you kind of see things differently. Like, what was the vision at that point? Now that you're working from that barbershop, like, what was the vision? 
is that I realized this I had some control, I had some stability in my life and a place that I had to be responsible. I then had a lot of clients. And again, when I was saying to you earlier, but I, I've always, you know, like understanding human beings and how the mind works, how humans work. When you're in a African Caribbean shop, you get basically, it's like our own country club, you know, and with politics is there, everything's there, all discussions are had. And you learn a lot. You learn a lot from people. But, and I was fortunate because obviously the majority of our people that come in are our own people. You get to understand the politics and things of where we are in life. And, and, the, and, the, and the business that you went on to build, I mean, because the shop that you've got isn't just a barber shop. My understanding is a lot of other things take place, things, you know, sold, educational things, things are taught. It's much more than just where you get your hair cut. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Like I said, my, my grandmother was my inspiration, but I just felt like as a young boy, there was a lot of lack of, of our cultural identity. And I don't know where it spared from, but it was something innately in me that just made me question things. So I remember my early days of looking at people like John Henry Clark, um, Francis Chris Wilson, Amos Wilson, Charles, what's his name, Charles Wilson, Williams. You know, some early one, early other books, I just can't, at my mind, I'm just at loss to. Um, Look to Layla Africa. It's just basically making me open my mind to sort of black literature, African literature, sorry. Dr. Ben Jokannon, and these people sort of made me look at life differently. So my first awareness of you, Shay, was not through, you know, your, your creativity and art. It was more through you being a teacher and an educator. Um, and I met you when you were putting on shows for, for the community to learn about their history, to learn about themselves and to really identify with some of the challenges that we might have. And, and, and then to understand that you're not just doing that on that platform for the community, but also doing it in your store as well for, so for the younger generation, not just for us. Um, can you tell us a little bit what, what kind of started that, that journey for you? It's funny you said it because, again, it's, as I said, where's your own little country club? Politics does happen a lot in the shop, as you know, we all come together. Everyone's got something to say. So I think whereas I had a lot of information but, like, built up at home, like, you know, books, documentaries that I just myself went to study. I thought it, I, I couldn't contain it, if I'll be honest, anymore. Because I just felt like there was a lot of, there was a, a huge level of brainwash. And we've been done, we, we've been done a, a large injustice as a people. So with that said, made me start to feel that I actually have these conversations in, our, in, the, in the business place. And what I found and what I found very um Frustrating that I felt like I didn't want to just be the only shop or bar business shop to be doing so. I think a lot of our African Caribbean barber shops should be doing so. It's very important for things in the shop having discussions, but to actually start building platforms and doing events that we discuss what's wrong or right with Black Britain is what I would see, as you were referring to earlier. So we just basically discuss different topics as to what we felt was important that our community needed to have. And, and we found that there were, did you find there were lots of challenges to some of the information you were sharing from whether people thought they were brainwashed, not brainwashed, how they felt about what you were doing? What, what would you say? Absolutely. And even to say the um, brainwash, I know people get offended, but I said that we've all been misguided. I mean, Carl G. Woodson, that's another book I, I, I didn't mention, but, you know, Miseducation of the... Negro, all these the books very um, enlightened, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X. So there's a lot of people, like I said, I went and looked and studied and gave me some insight as to why we are in this place. Shay, did you get a lot of pushback from those in the community when you started talking about some of these, some of the issues, some of the things that you'd found out, the knowledge that you had gained, did you get any pushback from the community? Oh yeah, it was battlefield. It was a battlefield. <laughs> it comes to religion. Oh gosh. Sometimes you have to even be careful because as you know, with religion, I think it's definitely the open of the masses, especially to, to us as a people. We hold that heartily. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if I'm thinking about engaging and one thing I've always focused on is about how you engage. You know, if you're trying to, let's just say, educate people, but having have conversations, 
you have to be mindful that you're not trying to be little people, you know, because you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna win there. And I do see that even today, people you know they have been knowledge, they want to sort of school people with it, but that's not the situation because I'm seeing that's not the that's not the right way to do things because what then happens is that you lose them. And like it's sort of that reminder that we're all in this together, but we're all at different places. What what would you say some of the challenges you came up against uh, in sharing information, teaching, or even in your business? Oh, the politics of people just being uncomfortable about talking about themselves. I mean, it's interesting, as you know, I think maybe a blessing and a curse, I don't know. I mean, it's all up to the individual, but it feels like Black Lives Matter has made it all sort of commercialised and okay to, and a lot more people feel comfortable to talk about their experience in the UK. But I remember a time, you know, you speak about it. And again, I, I do think I'm fortunate because I had the shop, so I had my mouth to speak. But I know when you're working in the corporate world or you're working around Europeans, um, Caucasians, I say, that is very, because a lot of our people are uncomfortable and feel isolated to discuss these topics while in our settings. And is that because sometimes there can be ramifications or, you know, things that happen because you're being outspoken in, in, in the workplace? Definitely. You know, people do tend, tend to get uncomfortable with information that it doesn't sit right with them. So I guess that's just a natural human instinct, really. And what about some of the failures that you had in setting up business? What challenges? Yeah, you know, getting the business, getting it on the way, thinking if I can really do it, if I can be responsible to manage, because it comes with a lot of asking from yourself. You know, the location, is it going to work? even from people, really, because I really remember even when I did, I'm only comfortable now to talk about my business, but when I had my business, I didn't tell anybody it was my business. People sort of started guessing over the years, but because of where I come from, I tend to feel it's best to be private, you know? Because sometimes, you know, wholesale of misery likes company. When you feel you're successful, it's not, you then felt like when others start to envy and stuff like that. So you just feel that it's best not to tell anybody anything. I mean, did you find that when you first, in the early days, I mean, I'm not sure how long you've been operating. How long have you been in business for, Sheikh Nayak? Almost 20 years now. Okay. So when you, when you first started, what did you find as a young man that might have almost, not frightened you, but make you reconsider some of the things that were hurdles, obstacles for you, especially like for maybe another young person listening to this that might want to do something similar to you. How would you guide and what would you say some of the pitfalls might be for them? Well, I always definitely say, no, if you've got passion, just just keep fighting, just keep going for it. I mean, you're always going to get hurdles, but that's what makes you stronger. But once you have that drive, you keep doing so. I mean, that's something I learned that you've got to always have that vision that you know you've got to say where you've got to be. That's why it's interesting about, you know, our, the whole concept failure of 40. You know, you have to have a place where you say, right, this is where I need to be. I was, that's what I did with myself. That it's really it's important to have determination because you're always going to get people that take you off your road. I always think I classify failure as, you know, when you stop moving forward. So you only fail when you stop working towards your goal. And so for me, there's, there is no such thing if you are continuing to move, even if you change direction. Did you have to change direction at all or to navigate to where you wanted to be? Or did you just keep jumping those hurdles? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. Even with friends, you know, you have to leave friends behind. That's a very hard thing to do. Even a certain mindset, like I said, when you're thinking about materialistic things and wanting the latest this and the latest that, certain things you start to realise is not important anymore. It's like you let go of those childish ways and to better yourself. And certain things started to come becoming unimportant anymore. There's a lot of things that was let go. Because I think it's not even an age thing. People grow up at 50 and still have that mindset. You know, what I found is that sometimes it's actually that it's not always about necessarily an age thing. Sometimes it's just about where your mindset is and where your growth is. So potentially that can happen at different points along the journey. And at some point you might think, actually, I've I've outgrown my circle. Even though you might still want to keep some links with the circle, you ultimately know that your mind is in a different place at the moment. Okay, you you just start to talk about your grandmother and and just some of her, her motivation of pushing you and kind of as part of your drive. 
in, in while you continue to kind of forge forward in your business? No, with my grandma, like, I was just really close to her, more close than I even realised. Like I said, she was like that gateway because from it come from culture of who I was, she, she showed me that. I mean, because that was in my home. So I could never be um, unaware about that. So, yeah, she was basically the gateway. Shay, what age did you move out of the home? Uh, 18, I moved out of my mum's. Yeah. To live on your own or with live, someone else? To live on my own. No, is it in it? No, I'm joking. No. Yeah, yeah, quite. <laughs> no, no, um, yeah, about 18. I moved out. And I mean, because I mean, we've heard a lot about your, your, your business development, your growth, um, your, your parents, you know, your family your upbringing we've talked a lot about it. what we haven't spoken about is some because you have two children i understand mm-hmm. I have two, yeah. what we haven't spoken about is some of the the romantic interests that have um grown up around you and developed you into who you are as well so do you want to tell us a little bit about any partners or the impact women have had on you growing up not just grandmother but love interests Woo. yeah that's definitely been that's another conversation in itself I mean, like I said, what I will say first is interesting because I was, I'm like a late bloomer. I always sort of wanted to wait till I was ready, ready and have everything set foundation before I have children. Because I know it's, it's not easy out here. And I've seen a lot of struggles from my friends, you know, but at the same time, a lot of my friends, respectfully, they have done well with their children. But again, it's tough, as you know. You know, I always, I always felt like I wanted to do things a certain way, but I've realised in life is that with children when they come they're meant to come and it's exactly what happened so yeah I've got two lovely children a boy and a girl you know you said you wanted to wait for your children till things were in a particular way that you felt happy with was that the same in terms of waiting for the right woman as well is that hand in hand it is hand in hand but I know you can be in a relationship but not necessarily think right now it's time to have children children was more serious to me I was quite even fearful having children because I knew that type of person. I know that once I have children, they're going to be my world. You know, that's a whole, it's not responsibility, like the responsibility is all about them. I mean, I hear that from a lot of men in terms of actually women. um, Women are not, don't feel as important as children. And when I say important, I don't mean that, you know, that she's not important, but just that actually your heart is more going to be given to, to your children more so than finding a partner, a life partner. As human beings, you always change, you know, that, that means I can be responsible, but once you turn around and say, I'm doing what I'm doing, I can't have that hold on you because I'm not responsible for you in that way. But the children always need you to be responsible for them. Did you have children around the time you started business or did you wait till you were more successful in business? Oh, no, after my business, because like I said, I've been 20 years now, so it was later on into... When there was a time, it was funny that I was like, oh, I, I feel like I need children now. You know, you, I know women do that thing, the clock and age, but it's actually happening to me. You know, like, hey, what are you waiting for? Like, I was getting all of that. It just came a time in my life that I wanted children and I felt, I found, I felt that I felt the right person. Well, you know, with that right person, again, I, you meet right people, because that whole right thing, you meet people that you connect with, but it's different when it comes to children again, and that you can still be uncertain. But anyway, like I said, because it, it can, that can be a complicated um, discussion itself. But that time came when it was time for me to have children. And it's sad to say, unfortunately, even though my daughter is, is a blessing, it came with a nightmare. And it's very been hard to talk about, but I have to talk about it. And it's been a very, it's been probably one of the biggest battles in my life. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the experiences regarding your daughter? How old is your daughter? Sorry, we, I think we just assumed that she's quite old. She might, my daughter's five. And, and have, have there been challenges to parenting? Because I know we know parenting it isn't yes. easy. I'll be honest with you, and maybe I was a bit naive then, but when I, I used to hear a lot of the time, like male friends sort of saying, you know, they haven't seen their children, the mother's going on a certain way. And I used to not believe that now. If you want to see your children, there's no way you can let anyone stop that. But I've started my circumstance and to know what happened. 
which has actually led me to funny enough where not funny, but haha funny, but with all what I was doing with my events that I did, it was crazy because one of my events that I was going to do was going to lead to this discussion, which now has just happened to me. So in later, I'm going to have this discussion, but basically it was about, you know, the dynamics of relationships and what they mean to us with children. And yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm here now, but um, as I said, speaking to a lot of males, I realised there's a lot, men have also had the wrong end of the stick, that the ones that want to be in their children's life, because um, I do see it's favoured in sectors like social services, which I've experienced, it's very favoured onto the woman and the courts. So the battle men have to have is very, is very difficult. What would you say your experiences are of, the, of that situation? Because I mean, I definitely hear that there's the lost voice of men seems to be a growing phenomenon. Well, I'm campaigning about female abusers, I think, because I'm not, not talking about the out ones. I've always been a community man, as people know me. And like I said, again, I was a bit naive. I used to listen to women talk about abusive men and men that do bad, but, but there's a lot of also women that I feel, feel that women as well, you need to be not just accountable, but accountable for other women that you know are abusive towards children you know, toxic towards men, and it sort of gets a pass, you know. And as even as men, we've kind of subscribed to sort of be, um, like, emotionless to it, like, oh, you're a man, get over it. But I think, I, and the thing is, I'm, I would like, definitely know that I'm a strong individual, but when it comes to my weakness and the children, well, in this case, my daughter, um, hence why I said it's one of the biggest battles and someone's, tells you you can't see your child again and you have to go into places like court where you don't even want to go to because of this it's it's, it's very challenging what what advice would you give can you give to men who may find themselves in a similar situation as you have done i'm glad you asked me that question definitely more so because i mentioned the court and i used to again growing up as you i mean everyone is you always have when I'm, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, and people have to go a separate way that the children get caught up in it and they have to see a lot of this nonsense. But for myself and how I was grounded and how I grew up, that wasn't happening. So my advice to men is, as difficult as it may seem, seek legal um, advice, go to the courts, you know, because better way you can get your, some better peace of mind because then it, then it can bring structure at least. I mean, as I said, I do feel like with my campaign I'll be doing is that I think laws do have to change in this country. Because again, as I said, I'm an advocate of women being abused, which means it's a children, it's disgusting by men. But like I said, I, don't, I can clearly see that when it comes to women, women go, who do so get a lot of, uh, um, get away with that behaviour. And it's very interesting because speaking to a lot of, young boys that come into my, my business place, I experience a lot of those effects with if their father is in around or their mums are very abusive or toxic about the father, it does have a large impact on them. And again, these things are discussed and some of these young boys have a lot of anger and rage because of that. So it's not just absent fathers, my point is, is that it, women also have to be accountable for that behaviour, the ones that do, because of course, not all women as well. I have to say that because there's a lot of generalising that goes on in our community. Thank you for raising that because I think it's important to talk about the fact that sometimes I think we we generally as our, a community of African-Caribbean background, we don't really like to call each other out. I think men will call women out and women will call men out, but I think it's also very difficult um, for men to call out other men as to be, so they're not seen as like selling out the black man and women to call women out because it's like, you know, then it's not part of the sisterhood. And I do think it's something that we do need to do more of is calling out our own genders. I don't think it's something that happens often enough. I agree, but I do, I don't know. I mean, I can only talk from personal experience, but basically a man can sort of be, whether we use the word for better, hyping or get excited to me that he had to go and, 
beat down his woman. That's not something I I subscribe with. I mean, I think it's disgusting behavior. So if I know a man, any man to be in that world, that manner, that basically that don't sit well with me is my point. But as I said to you earlier, I do find a lot of women do know. And I don't, cause I don't know men really that subscribe to that kind of thing. It's not like a cool thing to say. Yeah. I went and had to shout down on my woman and tell her about herself, blah, 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 and be abusive. You see what I mean? Whereas it, there is like a popular culture of women sort of, doing that, abusing men and it being called to be in that way. And I guess because it's not always obvious, because maybe the woman may not be slapping up her man, you know, um, but there's so much different ways that we can abuse each other, you know, whether it's verbally, financially, you know, through, through children, you know, using children as a tool as well. And, and I guess, you know, we know we have this thing, I think it's called, is it Fathers for Justice? Um, where they were doing lots of sort of really public stunts just to get publicity about how many how many men are not being able to see their children who want to. Or maybe they just got into another relationship and actually that's impacted their ability to see their children. So much different reasons for it. And I don't think we talk about it enough because we're used to women in lots of ways being the underdog in lots of ways. It's not really seen that actually maybe it could be turned on its head. Yeah, I mean, because it, people are very individualistic, in it? So... You find it, I find the only way that's going to straighten out is laws. A lot of problems I think can be resolved, but there's laws and like, you know, you have even now, you have the whole mental illness awareness, stuff like that, where I do feel there are a lot of psychopaths and narcissists that sort of join that brigade, um, brigade of mental illness, but they're actually individuals that I know if there was harder consequences, they wouldn't behave that way, if that makes sense. So a lot of people playing on it, on on because there is like a, a fad. So yeah, so they can disguise themselves, like people disguise themselves on social media as being something that they're not. So in terms of this, I guess going forward, in terms of you know you're you're in your forties now, you know, next decade, <laughs> you know we're in our fifties. In terms of I guess, looking at future relationships, how has this impacted your thoughts of women going forward and, and, and female abusers? That's a good question, because, yeah, it definitely has. I know it definitely has made an impact on me because I've never experienced nothing like this before. But I think maybe I'm just happy to feel that I'm not one of them type of characters that then sort of paintbrush African-Caribbean women or, you know... So that has damaged me to that effect. I want to seek other women in different communities. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. out of the community, I should say. So to, to answer your question, it has a big impact, but I just have to give thanks because the person I am or the people close around me really much helped me to sort of navigate out of this. It's still a battle. I do say, like you asked me that question earlier, I think that court arena, a lot of us, and I think um, Charms um, touched on it earlier as well about, you know, the whole thing of we don't want to go to the professionals. We seem like it's, um, what's the word you use? You know, like people feel that, oh, that's not our business. We, should, we don't need to be involved in that. But importantly, we need to be actually, because we're here. And that's what will actually help the situations far much more. Definitely what I've heard is about enabling behaviour. And, and sometimes I guess when somebody's a friend, you know, they, because for fear of loss of the friendship, they turn a blind eye to things that possibly they shouldn't do. I know historically, particularly in the Afro-Caribbean community, there used to be high levels of domestic violence um, and, and, you know, children, illegitimate children born out of the home. And these things would always be kept very hush. You know, um, and, and they had real ramifications later on for the children who were, those people weren't aware of, you know, weren't known by the rest of the family or, you know, the domestic violence that was taking place. But, you know, people stayed and they put up with it rather than discussing it or rather than I come around and I see you've got a black eye and I just go, I've got a bit of makeup, could help you out of that, rather than actually challenging the situation. And, and I think quite often we've kind of taken some of those old attitudes and habits into today. But actually, we've got the we've got the opportunity now to really address some of these these issues. Yeah, I mean, narcissism, as I say, narcissism, misandry, it's real. 
I mean, you know, women, even myself, always as a young child thinking that, you know, women are maternal. It's not the case. There's much men that are actually uh, more maternal than some women. So I should give the word, is it paternal? I definitely get what you're saying. They're caregivers as much as a mum might be. No, it's not all about the, um, the woman knows best. It's a balance that you need in that for, for children, and definitely. But so much so you can hear that sometimes a child needs to be removed from the father if a father is abused. It's the same situation for a mother, and that doesn't really get mentioned. It's like always get stuck with that. And again, as I said, it can lose to a lot of um, children feeling full damage because the experience I had, I know that the child, because the mother had a, had an older child and I had to experience her abusiveness towards her child, which I always had to keep trying to help and tell her not to behave that certain way. And that young man has gone through so much that I just, I will not stand to see my daughter going through that situation, circumstances. I definitely think there's bigger, wider debates for this because uh, uh, I think what you're talking about is such a, a huge issue, not in just our community, but in a lot of communities. I mean, just having the, the conversation about the impact of some of these, the trauma that happens between adults and how that then impacts their children going forward. You know, I think there needs to be more, more conversations around this matter because it is it's huge. Even though you agree that it happens in some other communities, we all know that our community's got like a bigger microscope on it, a big magnifying glass on it. So I find that 10, there needs to be back, when you mentioned about the 80s, I used to feel like the 90s, we were much more of a community. There was laws that we knew that you just didn't do. And I think that needs to be brought back because although I mentioned about the professionals, there's also a stigma about us that is not really taken as importantly as if it happened in, in different communities, different races of people. So I think we understand this more as a people. So why I said that we need to go back to community and have these discussions like we're having today. And even not just more discussions, but a lot of action plans. Like I said to you, this campaign I'm going to be running about female abusers. I mean, it's very important that things and laws have to change. And I think one of the things that's definitely um, springing out to me and that has changed or a narrative that actually wasn't true is that men aren't there for their children. Black men don't want their children. Black men abandon their children. These are things that are pushed so much in our communities and it couldn't be further from the truth. I think there may be times when those things do happen. There's been so much changes. And I think if we don't show that actually there are loving dads, dads who are able to, you know, provide and care for their children just as much as mothers and they're just as loved as any other child in any community. I think that's where we start rebuilding and then we can start to address some of the things that you, you're raising now. I mean, for the fair factor is how many men have sat down and you ran and discussed and said, you know, the impact where a woman says you're not going to see your child, you know, like it's like, well, you're using a child as a weapon. And that happens often. Well, I, and I know it's happened often with me. But just the mere impact of when you're hearing those words, that's abuse in itself. And I was even told from social services to be like, oh, ignore that. Don't worry about that. But you, you can't ignore that because just like when you hear a female men abusing women, the large proportion of abuse is emotional and psychological abuse. I think sometimes what can be missing, and this is just me talking from a, a female perspective, is sometimes the behaviours of men, I think men don't always understand to what detriment it can impact the woman they have been with or are with. And then that then has ramifications on how they then interact with that man later on after that, whether it's their, their mental health being impacted, emotionally they've been impacted and hurt, those things trickle down to children. And then also trickles down to how they manage situations and co-parenting. Even though we want everybody to be balanced, you know, and be able to co-parent fear, co fairly, sometimes there's so much else that's gone on and that's impacted that woman and about how she may then interact with that man. Not saying it's okay. I'm just trying to give at least some backdrop sometimes to what can be impacted. And I think mental health is a big issue here, you know, for men and women. I agree with you, but that's what I'm saying again. There's a women, I feel, tend to, hence why I said there's a lot of favoritism because what the, what you've mentioned, it, it always gets brought, but you, you don't really hear that mention if, a man, if that happens to the man, if that man loses it, if he acts out of character, it's, oh, that's a man thing. I think even uh, 
it's basically an organization that men seek if they have abusive problems. I can't remember the name of the, the, the organization. I guess it's balanced, isn't it, to both sides? It's balanced to both. But again, like I said, um, I agree with what you said, but it's that's why I said about the mental illness situation, whereas I'm starting to feel now a lot of people now, because I've seen the play on that, that there's very good actors, actresses out here that play on that whole mental illness thing. And they're very, quite, very much aware of what they're doing. I think it's really important what you're saying. And I completely hear what you're saying. And it's just making me think because, I mean, I'm, I'm, we all know women that have been, that you know, we all know women. And I think I have spoken out to women that have said things like that to men or been quite, had conversations in front of children they shouldn't have which then filters down to the child that's then fed back to the dad that's then fed back to, you know, messages being sent back and forth. And so I think we've all kind of experienced those things. And I have definitely spoken to those people that I've had that with. But what I think is also is that I don't think there's equality between men and women. And I do think that comes down to just history. Society has decided that, First and foremost, children come from women and therefore women are always primary care of first and foremost. And I think that it's such a big topic that we kind of really have to decipher all that stuff inside. But I do think that men also don't always speak out as loudly as women speak out about abuse. And I think with the more men that speak out about that type of abuse without feeling ashamed or guilty or anything, the more men that speak out about it, the more people will hear. And so I think it's important that you're running, you know, the, the, the project or the campaign that you're going to do, because I think the more we hear it, the more we can pinpoint the people in our circles that are doing those things. Because some people, some people lie really well. So sometimes you could be best friends with someone and not know that those are the kind of things you're doing. And then actually you may see or hear from a man that's going through that experience and then pinpoint, actually, my friend is doing that. And I think if we get more men to speak about that abuse, then we'll start to see more being done. Oh, definitely. No, and I, I, I do realise that even speaking on this is, is a very huge task that we have to do. It really is because, as you said, normally people don't, generally want to have these discussions, as you said, men. And as I said, in my experience, I found that men, there's a lot of men that don't feel that they can or they, they for some reason, feel like they're not heard. Yeah. Mm. So I, I just appreciate yeah. that, you know, you, you're aware of this. But definitely more has to be done. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you'd be happy to come back on maybe and maybe speak with some other men just about some of their experiences. Um, and see if we can look at some solutions and maybe just get some of our sisters to be aware of, of, the, of the impact um, and, and of their power, you know, because I think there's a lot of that going on at the moment. And, and ultimately, it doesn't help any child, you know, to have, have parents that are in a position that isn't positive for that child. I mean, you said it there. I mean, with, with these kind of forums or even like meeting and I've been, like I said, events that I've done, they're very powerful. You know, I think it's the only way to change because, yeah, I think Charm said it, you know, it's about exposing people. Like there's a lot of people that once they're exposed or they have high consequences, they wouldn't be doing this because they get away with it. They get a buzz out of it. They get a buzz of fooling the public or people on social, fooling people as to who they are. They're healers. They're great. They're not self-proclaimed people and they're not actually what they say they are. And I guess just looking a bit more at failures and the failures that society can possibly sometimes mould into us. I guess one of them is is that, like you said earlier, that women are the only caregivers and, and that's not true. I was going to ask you too, just a question. The only question I was going to ask you too is that as women, do you think it would it be right for you having another partner and that partner to bathe your child? I think it's all context, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, you're speaking. So, from from my experience, my partner's my ex partner's girlfriend, I would have no issue with her putting. But then, is that because I feel female to female, it's different? 
for yeah. do you get what I mean so that that would be different for me like I would be comfortable but then also I have a relationship with my ex-partner's my ex-husband's partner so we have a full-on blended situation where he's with a new partner I'm with a new partner we all know each other we all communicate and so I have his his partner's number he has my partner's number so it's a little do you get what I mean so the, the, the dynamics there's not, there's not bound like everybody knows their place yeah everyone knows the boundaries everyone knows what the discipline needs to look like so and it and it took us a good three four years to get there but now that we're here, it's so much easier. And I think the, it's, it's just very different depending on the situation. Are you talking about more about a female child being bathed by a male? Yes. More so. And, and boys, and, and boys. But yeah, in terms of, um, yeah. I, and I guess, I, I think if I thought of a boy being bathed by a female or by, you know, my ex-partner's partner, I probably wouldn't have raised as much concern as I would. And I know it sounds a little bit, you know, That's odd, fine. But I'd, probably, I'd probably be more concerned about maybe my, my female daughter being bathed by a, a male. You know, I think I would, that, that would raise more concerns. My partner would never bath my daughter. There you go. And that's why I said I wanted to ask the question. But I bath his son. Right. No, but, but it goes back to that. It goes back to that thing, as you said. Like some things, we can understand there's differences. It's, and there's nothing wrong with respecting those differences because I think, as men generally, if I heard my daughter was bathed by another female, it wouldn't really be an an, an issue. But when it concerns, especially as you said about context, especially when there are conflicts going on, I think that's the main issue as well. Yeah, yeah that's the main issue. And as you said. For me, and I've asked my friends, no, my friends who are in relationship with their partner who's got another child, they don't bath the child. If, if and it's interesting, so that if, if a father ain't around and it's, then I guess they'll be comfortable because there, as I said, there's no father around. But when, especially if there's a father around and he's very much involved, now, I was just going to talk about the fact that we're kind of talking about female abusers, and I think that's quite a unique topic. But the, the, the fact is that females abuse also, and that's whether it's, you know, physically, emotionally. So the fact that whether maybe me or Sean maybe, you know, be bathing the child may be more accepted. The fact is that we abuse, women can abuse too. So it should never be thought that because it's a woman doing it. It's because we're more used to it. Society's molded us into thinking that way the woman must be doing the nurturing and that's the caregiving tasks. But I, de I definitely feel like if there was a, there should be also respect as well, because if I say that I wouldn't want that to happen or that makes me feel uncomfortable, then that would be something that I would expect my ex-partner to not do um, and just to respect my wishes. And I think that's the problem when you don't, when you don't have those those conversations and those boundaries and then you have the conflict that's going on it means you can you then cannot make decisions although you have 50 percent parental responsibility you actually don't get a say which is where it becomes difficult yeah it i mean if my ex-partner had said that of me of my son that he wouldn't want him to be paid by somebody else i'd be giving it at least 90 percent 95 percent good consideration yeah you know it, it would never be down by 50 you know me thinking maybe actually you know, because same way, if I speak on something, can I want this considered? That's my expectation also. And that's just respect, isn't it? Yeah. Just giving you some common courtesy and respect. And that's it. And that's what last thing said. I appreciate, you know, and I expected that to be your answers. But because I was with this experience, this, um, this, um, my, as I said, my daughter's mother is very, was a very abusive woman, very toxic. Even the behavior she would want to, uh, abuse me, psychology, about beating her own son. And I used to always tell her about that and sort of even try and belittle me and demasculate me because I wouldn't come and beat up her son because he was being out of order. And I would sort of we have my own methods of dealing with him and she would be like, this is not how you conduct it. You have to come and brock him up. And this is why I said social services I was dealing with and what show, it got so serious that I actually had to record her behaviour without her knowing so. And then sent to social servicing. And I, I, even till now, I, I, I can't believe how 
I don't know if it must have not been watched. Do you see what I mean? But the reason why I'm just highlighting this thing, because it is disturbing, the behaviours and how she used to speak with him, how she speaks to him, and, and that behaviour, I see her even trying to mirror him with my daughter and try poisoning my daughter against me and stuff like this. But I mean, I won't say too much more in it, but like I said, I just thought I'd ask that question. I appreciate you having me even to discuss this. It is an important subject matter. And like I say, in, in the wider community, in the wider, our wider community, it's, it's quite a common thing that goes on. We hear it a lot. I, I would really love it if you would come back on and have a conversation maybe with some other men who are going through similar situations. And it, I think just to lend a little bit of a voice to the lost voice, as it were. And it's important for you to share those because those challenges because they are a part of your journey and they are they add to your character, to the things that you're doing, to the work that you're now probably going to do for so many other people. So thank you for sharing that part of, you know, because that's not, it's not an easy task at all. So Shay, with all that we've just discussed and knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell young Shay coming up about women, business, life, friends? Yeah, I would tell them definitely... You know, like they say, reading. I always hear it, it sounds like, oh, forgive reading and, you know, they hide knowledge in the book, read. Read, read, read. And when I say just reading, I mean reading them books that really elevate yourself culturally, you know, economic, basic books in finance, economics. I know, even, even psychology, psychology books are very good as well. Dealing with the human mind, it's very important. Definitely would tell younger Shay that and definitely to start with culture for culture first because i think that's what found my way to understand where i am today i love the bit you said earlier on and you said um traveling is life and i think that's probably one of the biggest educators we can get and it's just to go Listen to Jay. No, no sorry like, i'm glad you said that because i should have said that as well definitely to travel because when you're young and everything that's where, you know, you've got that, that drive. And travelling, you know, is very important to life. Life, I should say. It definitely is. And, and especially if you can ex- expose your children to it, you, you know, you, yourself as an adult. I remember when my son was quite young, I'd take, I heard some noise at the front door and he's at the front door in his pyjamas with a suitcase. And I said, where, where, where are you going? He said, I'm going on holiday. And just the <laughs> fact that he <laughs> in his pajamas but just the fact that he'd been exposed you know and you know and he just thought I need to I need to get away <laughs> I'm going on holiday and I'm not even taking her with me but traveling really is life and it does so much for any age absolutely because that was actually one thing that they used to say anyway remember like when we was growing up it was always that thing of going back home and back home you know sending children back home that was important to the elder generation because you got that full sense of what life and responsibility was. You know, you don't really hear that much now. It's like, you know, so it definitely, I'm glad you mentioned that. Thank you. Like, because that was definitely what I'd have told my younger self. What is your opinion on how failure is viewed inside today? You know, we kind of call the podcast Failure Up 40, but we're kind of really asking about the lessons learned. Like, what is your opinion? How is failure viewed in society today? And do you see it in the same way? No, definitely. I think, you see, because of the whole dynamics of what you, some people subscribe to success, my version of success to when I started looking deep into my knowledge and self is a different perspective of success. I think it's very successful if you know who you are culturally. That's imperative. I mean, I think that's all the avenues as to what defines success. But again, it's where your mindset are because some people like the material things in life. But we're, but we're also programmed to be entrenched in consumerism, consumerism all the way. And, and I guess when you really have a broader knowledge, you understand wealth can come from so many different facets of life um, in so many different areas. And the monetary term, the economic term, is all just another provision to kind of continue to keep the economy rolling in the way that it needs to. So we're programmed to think that way. I need to get this. I need to have this to be somebody. I need to look like this or, you know, acquire this to really show who I am. When that really is, you know, it's, 
it's wealth of health, you know, wealth of, you know, your family, your friends, you know, peace. You know, I think people underestimate how, how much wealth you get from a gift of peace, just to be able to go to sleep at night and sleep peacefully, you know, and to, and to live that life. I agree. I mean, even the fact that, you know, you mentioned, Charm, about failure at 40. I mean, it's not even self with that. There is a failure of our generation because we haven't done what should have been done, which our ancestors entrusted us to do. And I mean, depending on what walks of life you are from or what religious or spiritual background you are, we actually all have a purpose. And we're always reminded of this purpose. And that's why I said the problems and the discussions we have about our younger generation, our younger generation impacts because we haven't continued the legacy. So it's all about legacy and building legacy. I mean, building African Caribbean community together with businesses and again, having these important conversations because, you know, if they're failing because we're failing and so in terms of that failure at 40, I do look at that as the failure. And I, I think just because I might be in a better position, I still feel my work is not done. I've, I've really, really enjoyed conversating with you today. I feel like we've really touched on so many different things that can be expanded far beyond this, this particular interview. And it'd be so nice, I guess, to kind of talk to you again about some of these things, especially particularly on your last point about some of the, um, the responsibilities of, of us, because now we become the elders to pass them to our children so they get the messages clearly enough and, and feel grounded in their identity enough to go forward and continue to do some of the works that's necessary. Oh, definitely. I definitely can't agree more. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. And if anybody wants to find you, where can they find you? Where, where your, your business or, you know, social media? Where should they okay, look for you? Well, my Instagram is Eugene Unisex Salon. I've also got a website and clothing line, Eugene Couture. So you can check that out. I mean, Black Magic Promotions, I will later on um, discuss that because there's going to be more events coming our way, but I'll keep everybody in tune. And also I have a Billet Botanica, which is another company that's in its infancy, about health is wealth. So really sort of like challenging the whole health industry and what we're actually um, consuming in that, because that's a, also a major impact in, in our community and our health, which is our health. Well, thank you, Shane. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's been really nice having you. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Welcome to Failure at 40. 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 Failure at 